Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Why do people refuse to change their minds about a subject even when they are presented with incontrovertible evidence to the contrary? About climate change, about the pandemic, about the presidential election? The concept of cognitive misers is used in the discipline of psychology to explain why we cling to myths, misinformation, and outright lies instead of doing our own investigating to find out the facts. Our guest is Dr. Corey Teague, a lecturer in the MTSU Department of Psychology, and he'll try to unravel the mysteries of our minds after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU plans a return to primarily in-person instruction by fall 2021, and its COVID-19 task force will engage faculty, staff, and other stakeholders in January to lay out scenarios and develop recommendations. However, MTSU President Sidney McPhee said the campus will maintain its array of course types for the upcoming spring 2021 semester, ranging from in-person to remote synchronous, and continue requirements put in place last summer, such as mandating wearing face masks in campus buildings, along with other protective measures. And it's a sign of the times. American Sign Language classes are slated to begin January 27th of 2021 via teleconference. The Center for Accelerated Language Acquisition at MTSU is offering two six-week sessions for learning how to communicate with the deaf and hard of hearing with one's hands. Kala's first session is scheduled for 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. each Wednesday from January 27th through March 3rd. The second session is also set for 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. on Wednesdays from March 17th through April 21st. Classes include games and other fun, hands-on activities dealing with greetings, numbers, colors, body parts, the alphabet, and elements of basic everyday conversation. Fees are $130 for the general public, $115 for MTSU faculty, staff, and alumni, and $100 for MTSU and high school students. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Teague, thank you. Welcome. Appreciate you being on the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. In uh, April 2020, the BBVA Foundation awarded Susan Fisk and Shelley Taylor the Frontiers of Knowledge Award in the category of social sciences for developing the concept of cognitive misers. What exactly does the term mean? Um, I, I usually equate it to, in, in a way, uh, in psychology, when we look at how people attempt to attribute what they see, someone's behavior, or what's going on, what, what they attribute that to. And, you know, there's different pathways our minds can take us. Um, you know, there can be some bias there as we do that, but sometimes we'll settle in on um, what's the easiest or the simplest explanation. And that can come from just our own experiences or uh, something we've, we've uh, uh, been told, but it, it is an easy path to an explanation of of uh, behavior or thought pattern. Uh, is the brain hardwired to cling to existing beliefs or are we just intellectually lazy? Uh, I think it is a combination of two, <laughs> both of those. It is kind of wired to, uh, you know, as information comes in, 
it compares to what's already there. If it lines up with uh, uh, what we, what's already there, you know, it, that's a that's an assimilation type of process, and uh, that's the easiest easiest thing for us to do. Uh, critical thinking uh, definitely is a um, uh, it takes effort and some willpower to do that, and I think we all have the ability to do it. Uh, I just think that uh, it definitely has takes some motivation to do it as well. What social factors can contribute to this? Uh, has life become so fast paced that we just make mental shortcuts because we're just trying to cope with life? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that too. You know, you get fast paced, and we got a lot of information uh, that's thrown at us. A lot of opinions. Um, you know, when we when we read things, it's on uh, some some of the things on social media is, is opinion. Some of it isn't, but so it is. It's fast paced. It's uh, the quick answer. The um, and then all the information that, that's coming at us. Uh, how much of this is due to personal insecurity? There's a lot to be afraid of these days, and there's a lot of stressors and anxiety causers in everyday life. Uh, are, are, we, uh, are we afraid to change our minds because we're afraid that uh, we might lose contact with something we hold dear or we might lose ground uh, political ground at work or lose friends? Yeah, changing our mind, it's, it, it can be difficult. It's not always difficult, uh, but, you know, in situations that are, uh, you know, that may cause some type of shift in a person's life, this paradigm, and uh, def that definitely would be a, a more difficult uh, shift there, you know, because we have our bias. And um, and so, yeah, that that is... I would say definitely that is part of that as well. It's just that, and you, we can say it's denial. It's um, because if we accept something, then it means something that we don't want to uh, accept. We can definitely go down that path as well. And people can have a similar, that similar trait in them that's pretty strong. And then some don't. Some, when you think about personality and how open someone might be to, uh, certain things that goes back to critical thinking even in some ways, and sometimes we're not as open in certain areas. And different things can cause that. Some of the things we just mentioned, from social aspects to uh, just that fast pace and, and all the information that's coming in. Like, for example, if, uh, if you have a really good close friend who you've known for a number of years, and then all of a sudden he gets caught stealing from his employer, you have to deal with the fact that if he really did steal from the employer, that you, you didn't know this person really at all. And then you start to wonder, well, how could I have been so wrong? How could I have misjudged him all this time? Is this the person I knew? I'll tell you what comes to mind, you know, cause I do uh, work in the mental health and I do counseling and especially if I'm working with someone with substance abuse or uh, maybe they're, um, you know, using uh, a certain certain type of drug. It could be cannabis, you know, with the marijuana. It could be pills or whatever. But w one of the battles that might be there is if someone in that person's life still does it. And so if, for them to change their mind about that substance in their life, they also have to change their mind about how they perceive the loved one that continues to do it. And that's difficult, uh, you know, because usually they have, like you said, a friend there, something happened to them. And so now I've changed my 
perception uh, of this individual, at least in that scenario, and the behavior that they have, uh, they had. With regard to alcohol and drugs, they change brain chemistry and mm -hmm. they uh, alter the, the way people behave in so many different ways. Do, do these uh, substances tend to reinforce being a cognitive miser or do they tend to make you uh, think like you know, Aldous Huxley thought LSD opened the doors of perception, right? They, yeah. to, to a whole new way of thinking. What, what effect do they have on this whole process? I think they have, you know, in some, in some senses, um, I guess it depends on which one we're talking about, which drug there. If someone is in an effortful way, uh, the goal is to learn something or, or to gather information or come to a conclusion about something and they're focused on that. Uh, you know, some of those drugs in the sense of what it does to the uh, neurons and all that in the brain, the chemicals, that may aid focus, aid focus. Uh, but if it's something that's not a lot of energy put in, and I do, it goes the other way. It, it, it definitely uh, inhibits our ability to uh, be conscious. Now, and I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking about, you know, someone who's definitely uh, the mind has been altered to a, to a point where their, you know, their consciousness is altered to where they uh, cognitively loopy, then that'd be hard to do any type of uh, thinking. But uh, if it's mild or, because I'm also thinking about even prescription, some prescription, ju prescription drugs that have a type of uh, depressant or, uh, or, or, or drug that excites the nervous system. And how they, sometimes those help people uh, to focus. But it's, it's not that someone is so beyond uh, contact with reality, but rather more like a teenager succumbing to the peer pressure of wanting to be popular with his friends who take drugs. And so it, it sort of reinforces itself. Yes, exactly. Um, it does reinforce itself. Uh, we'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're back with Dr. Corey Teague, a lecturer in the MTSU Department of Psychology, talking about cognitive misers trying to figure out why people cling to things that just aren't true. The way journalism has changed leads me to believe that that's some kind of a reinforcing factor in our being cognitive misers. I mean, news agencies today sort of cater to specific demographics instead of just reporting the facts and letting the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Do you think this reinforces our tendency to be cognitive misers? 
thing it has a it, you know i see things as you know pieces of the pie so it is a, it has a it has a huge piece of the pie i do believe yes it's uh and i have witnessed that and uh observed that as well how the different like you said they will uh uh speak to a, a certain audience and so if you watch one it's saying this another one is saying things or leaving stuff out and uh has a slant towards a certain way and so yeah so you if you hear that you, you gotta think about it. you hear that day after day after day after day you will uh it does affect your perception and so now you're leaning a certain way and if some new information comes in you you may not trust it uh because it's not what your trusted sources uh told you and so you now uh deny or, or refuse to open up some critical thinking about what someone else is saying and uh, so that is definitely happening. The talk is that we've become a lot more tribal in recent years than we were before. But if if we've had the potential to be cognitive misers all along uh, because of the way the brain works, why weren't we more tribal before? I think I think uh, uh, if the culture is not leaning that way in a tribal sense. Uh, whatever those mechanisms are that uh, you know come into play that introduces that tribal thing and it could be you know we mentioned some of it like media stuff um different perceptions about things and groups of people and um it's kind of in my mind not you know i think about tribal not doing a good job being united in our diversity <clears throat> and so uh uh we run into those things um yeah yeah. I mean, you could you could call the family as a sort of a tribe. And yeah. that's what my father used to call it. And mm -hmm. I loved my my parents. Uh, they're both passed on now. But, you know, I'd have arguments with them that would curl your hair. Uh, and uh, I, I wonder if there's just sort of a genetic tendency uh, that maybe skips a generation or something that that says, well, uh, you know, even in childhood, you're 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 going to see things this way. And if your parents see it the other way, you're going to buck them, even though you love them. Uh, you know yeah, what I, I mean? I know what you mean. I think that's there. I think it's there uh, in the individual, uh, in the sense of uh, we're drawn towards things that are similar to us. Uh, you know, sometimes we're aware of that. Sometimes we're not. Uh, and some of this can be personality driven as well. Uh, there's uh, I'm trying to remember what something's called, but I think it's called uh, in, implicit egotism, where we are drawn towards things that are similar to us. And so we're, it could be, it could be a, a letter, the research even talks about it, it could be a letter in our name uh, and the um, career we choose. And so if it's something that, you know, minute in a, in a way kind of complex, yeah, it definitely is that way as well. Like you said, we have families, you know, I have a family here. We're, we, um, we united in our similarities, but then within the group, there's some differences, but you know, my neighbor is definitely some differences, but we're still united as neighbors. And then they get the whole community that's hopefully, uh, in this community here is united. So it's, uh, but I do think we have that tendency to, uh, goes back to even some ways helping behavior and who will help and who we won't help. And it's kind of a social, uh, psychology concept there in the sense of, uh, the homogeny and uh, having sameness and uh, but again it's it's the the effort comes in being able to have that unity 
in the mix of diversity. And that's, that's difficult, but it's definitely it's, it's worthy uh, to, to do it. And so sometimes it's the same way with information uh, when it comes in to be able to say, okay, um, what do I, what do I, what door, I, I'm thinking of doors in my mind that I need to leave open to, uh, even if I think this is uh, the right path uh, or the right way to think about this virus or this drug or whatever, uh, what doors I need to leave open just in case something changes or new information comes in or what we knew before wasn't quite true or, you know, that type of thing. When does this kind of egotism that you're talking about warp into narcissism where you believe that you're right all of the time about absolutely everything? When it becomes inflexible, if we're truly thinking about what we might call a personality disorder because the narcissistic personality disorder is a actual disorder. It's a diagnosis. It's uh, but there's different, you know, I have the DSM in front of me, but definitely there are some, some characteristics that are there. And but usually when we think about personality uh, disorders, it's rigid. We can, we can have some rigid, you know, some rigidness to our personalities and not have a disorder, but when it becomes like an immovable rigidity, then now we have an issue. So even a narcissist needs that kind of reinforcement, uh, even though he or she believes that he or she is right all the time. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes sometime it's, uh, if I had two individuals and I had to measure it, one may have it coming from a more intrinsic, in a more intrinsic way, but they probably still benefit from it coming from an extrinsic, as, uh, external as well, as well. And then you may have someone else who is uh, uh, more external with it in a sense of, you know, they didn't need it from, from others, even though they feel that, feel that way about themselves. But that affirmation feeds that. Time for another break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about cognitive misers, a relatively modern concept in psychology that helps to explain why people sometimes cling to things that aren't true, even though they're presented with overwhelming evidence, including scientific data. And our guest is Dr. Corey Teague, who is a lecturer in the MTSU Department of Psychology. What role do cognitive misers have in perpetuating racist, sexist, and other prejudicial stereotypes? Uh, a lot of those stereotypes, a lot of the prejudices, they're automatic. It's different with each person, but it's, they, they can, most of the time they are automatic, especially stereotypes, and which can lead to you know, a lot of different things. It can be negative. You know, it may not be racial. It could be some other characteristic in someone. But yeah, I think it does play a role. The cognitive miser uh, process 
that goes on, we, you, you would think it's kind of, you know, you can argue that it's foundational in, uh, in a sense when it comes to enduring stereotypes that someone might have. And so if they're faced with something that challenges that, it forces that, that cognitive uh, miser process to be altered, become more comprehensive than no longer miser. And when we discuss this, uh, even in my class, I mean, we're talking about one experience. You can have two, you can have three, but, and I know that makes it tough as, as humans to say, well, these two or three experiences is not ring true of everyone. You know, maybe just for some reason you've had that when it comes to a bad experience. We have to understand, even if it's a positive stereotype, I mean, because those that exist as well, there are in-group differences. You know, if someone is, for some reason, they live in a certain area or we see a lot of this characteristic there, it doesn't mean everyone there is, has that or struggles with that or whatever. But it's difficult, though, you know, because we, we're conditioned, especially if it's a situation that causes heightened emotion, be it happiness or fear. And so now we have this set in of, okay, yeah, this is my experience, or so this must be how it is with everyone in that group. I, I think it's it helps just to, to live mindful, to be mindful of ourselves. And sometimes we don't put a lot of effort in what's happening around us right now or what I'm saying right now and why am I saying it. Seems like some folks get all of their news and information from Facebook and Twitter. There's a lot of conspiracy theories on yeah. social media. The anti-vaccine movement is gotten a big boost due to chatter on social media. Why would people rather believe stuff on social media than they would other sources? Like radio and television are certainly as immediate and legitimate news sources like the Washington Post who have their own websites. They're just as immediate as social media. I don't know why one or the other would lead one to be more intellectually lazy. I look at it kind of like a migrating and a process that takes place, you know, uh, we could say some decades ago, people would definitely read the newspapers more often. We went to, to television. And like we said a minute ago, the on television is split in how they present the news. So I think then some people migrate, so what else is there? And so now this social media has come come around. It's a mixture on social media. You got opinions and then you got news. Some of it is newsworthy, some of it is opinions. I wish there was a button that someone could say, well, this is my opinion and this is actual news and I got some stuff to back, you know, that I show where I got this information. When you read articles in a newspaper, paper, they usually cite a source. It's an interview they've had. I think more realistic information as opposed to what's on social media and someone's opinion and they're not saying where they get it from or sometimes even on television news. They have guests on sometimes, but then you got to do your work to look these people up to see who they are and why they're saying what they're saying. How should we as individuals conscientiously strive to fight becoming cognitive misers in, in our own minds? Are there, are there things we can do? Are there steps that we can take when we conscientiously say to ourselves, I don't want to be like that. I want yeah. to be open. I want to use my critical thinking skills. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, the, that's the battle there. It's uh, getting people to want to do that. You know, I think about it from an educational standpoint in class, people that go not just to college, but hopefully in our high schools, you know, how to implement something there. People have to believe that it's important to have have the right information, to seek the right information, not just to consume whatever they're getting and run with it. And that's an uphill battle, but I'm optimistic. You know, I'm one person, but definitely in my classes, I, uh, I try to encourage that in my students to uh, be critical thinkers, to seek evidence. And sometimes it doesn't take long to get the evidence you need to draw a conclusion. But I guess I'm thinking about how do you approach it from an individual standpoint and how you approach it from community and our culture standpoint. You know, I think we can be creative in ways to do that. Do your students ever say things in class 
that it's just not right. And then when you provide them with the right information, they go, wow, that's a kick in the head. I didn't know that. I try to be, you know, tactful and I guess you could say compassionate or whatever and what their, where, where they, their stance is. And, and I uh, just try to not give it as really my opinion in a sense, but this is just what we know from research or just from mainly that in the classroom, but you can read body language and facial expression when you share, share things with people. This, of course, this semester was, more, was difficult because the mask was on and, <laughs> and stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was interesting to try to, you know, what, you know, what are these, are they smiling under there or what? Yeah, definitely. It, it is. I think it, it, it does challenge them to say, okay, well, yeah, uh, all right. That, that might be this. Uh, even with the, the prejudice and the, I mean, the stereotyping and stuff like that, you know, challenge them to, to be able to differentiate, you know, prejudice and racism and stereotyping and that type of thing and uh, understand that different things about it. And sometimes again, the, the, uh, the drug stuff, you know, we get, we, we learn a lot of information, get more research on the cannabis and marijuana and things like that. To, to, to share those things, it's just to share. And so it does though, you know, it kind of puts anyone in a position to say, okay, now what are we, Oh, what do I do with this? You know, I always thought this, and uh, it's just things change. Like, for instance, I know I keep talking about the, the drug thing, but the marijuana, the potency in marijuana in the '70s was five, like around five percent. Now it's like eighty-five percent, and so it's different. And so, uh, but it's hard. You can you can tell when you, especially like in a counseling session, if someone's struggling with that, you can tell that the information you're giving them, they don't want to, they don't want to accept it. They sometimes flat out don't believe it. And, you know, for some reason, what I'm telling them, I don't know what, how they, what they conclude. Uh, and I do tell them I'm just want to inform them for their safety, and they can make a decision. But this is what we know now. So yeah, it's uh, students and, and clients can definitely have a, a moment of oh, you know, what do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I believe in the New Orleans Saints, but when they lose, they lose. So, <laughs> you know, thank you for helping us keep it real. Dr. Corey Teague, lecturer yes. in the Department of Psychology here at MTSU. Thanks for being our guest on MTSU. Oh, you, you're welcome. Great to be here. We'll be right back. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. MTSU's new Parking and Transportation Services building is set to open on Monday, January 4th. The new facility is located at 205 City View Drive on campus. Ron Malone, Assistant Vice President of Events and Transportation Services, explained that the new building would reunite parking and transportation services, physically separated across campus from one another for several years, under one roof. 
as we started through the project, it became very obvious that one of the things that we really needed to do was bring both groups together, transportation, which is our shuttle bus operation, and parking services, because the director for parking services is also over the transportation component. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's very difficult. I don't know if you've ever tried to manage people that are located in two or three different Mm -hmm. locations, but it's very hard to manage folks when they're separated like that. Plus, it was becoming a bit of a challenge for the folks over in Motorpool to be able to uh, find space for all of our buses in their lots. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.